0: i holy and perfect he's done no wrong he is the standard of good so he created everything that we know and so the whole earth and all of humanity but humanity sinned against him or he he was he walked with humanity but humanity sinned against him and created this divide between us and God so God wanted to figure out a way to end that divide, so he sent his only son, sent him down as a man to die for us, and uh, to crush that divide and forgive us of our sins, so that he could be with us again. So, what we have to do in order for to like be saved by God is that we. Um, believe, we repent, we get baptized, and then we also evangelize. That's it. Amen.
1: That's it. Amen. Minute 13. Come on, guys. Amen. Alright, today is week 8. We're on week 8 of our evangelism class. It was 13 weeks. Um, last week, Cliff that was amazing, uh, amazing job. Uh, we looked at handling rejection when sharing the gospel, and Cliff taught us about five encouragements. To sound familiar, five encouragements. I know you guys were here. Um, these are encouragements we can have when we're rejected. Two of them are be comforted and be merciful. There's three more Bs. Can anybody remember them? What were the other three? Be comforted, be merciful. <laughs> Cliff himself is like, ah, I taught this. <laughs> be available be available be patient patient. i think that is yes be hopeful and be prayerful prayerful. the notes that'll do it notes are helpful but be patient's good too (laughs) you can add that to the list yeah those things are important i I think they kind of cross into today um we're going to talk about questions about and objections to the gospel and if you've done much evangelism uh you know people have both questions and objections. Uh, questions about what we believe and objections to the things that we do believe. So the truth is, a lot of people you evangelize to will object and reject the gospel. I know in my personal experience, I've never myself witnessed anyone fall to their knees in repentance and cry out to Christ in faith upon their initial hearing of the gospel. Um, that's not to say that never happens, it clearly does. Uh, But when people repent and believe, it usually takes time. It usually takes deep, long conversations. I know Cliff experiences this a lot. It takes multiple follow-up meetings and lots of patience. So, what do we do when someone says no thanks uh, or when they have a question? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So we'll look at it in two ways. Just two big sections today. Um, First, It's how and what. So first, we will look at how the Bible tells us to handle questions and objections. Look to the scripture. How does it tell us how to handle these things? And secondly, we'll look at what to say to the most common questions and objections, some of the most common questions and objections. Uh, If we covered all of them, uh, we'd be here a very long time. So, but we'll look at some of them. And uh, just one final thing before we get started. Uh, There's two resources that um, Capitol Hill suggests. Um, There's Carm.org. anybody ever use that? Carm.org. C-A-R-M. Anyone familiar with that? It's Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. So if you're having one of those days, like I don't (laughs) have just like C-A-R-M.com. What do they have to say? .org. org, Hey. Nice. Karm.org. And uh, also gotquestions.org is also helpful. But just remember the Bible. Go to the Bible. It's the only inerrant and resource in the world. Um, we want to be like the Berean Jews in Acts 17 and test everything you read or you're questioned about or you're objected to. Um, on like, Test it against the Holy Bible. Uh, be careful using websites or any books. Uh, could someone turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Or all of you if you want. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll read from there in a moment. So the first big topic, how should we answer objections to the gospel? Uh, The Bible tells us um, at least six things. So we're going to look at six things about how to do that. The first thing we're going to look at is what we should expect, which is we should expect objections and questions (laughs) when sharing our faith. Uh, When we're out there and we're talking, we shouldn't be like, whoa, side-blinded. We should be definitely expecting objections and questions. So when we share, people will often disagree with us. Um, In fact, some of them won't even understand us. Um, The Bible says we should expect this, and it's fundamentally not about us or our explanation. It's about them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, it explains it with a contrast. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Folly and power, quite different. And whoever has uh, 1 Corinthians 2, if you could read verse 14, Paul continues there. 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are
0: folly to him and he is not able to understand them
1: because they are spiritually discerned. Right. So said differently, it is unnatural for people to understand and receive the truth of God's message because they are spiritually deaf. That's why that doctrine is so important. Um, they're spiritually deaf and they're spiritually deaf because they are spiritually dead. Deaf and dead. And five times... There's five times in gospel accounts, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, or he who has ears, let him hear. Um, he's not just talking about, if you got him, no, he's, if, you're, if you can actually listen, listen up. Uh, can somebody look at 1 Peter 3.15, please? 1 Peter 3.15. So, this was the reality for Jesus, it was the reality for Paul, Peter, every evangelist who has ever lived, It's the reality for us. People rejected what they said then, and they're going to object, and they're going to question what we say now. But this reality should not lead us to fear, it should not lead us to despair. It should invigorate us, it should motivate us to prepare for people's questions. Not to, you know, surrender into doing nothing, but to see the challenge and to know that God is with me, who could be against me, and to rise up against that challenge and to prepare against it. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says it best, if you could read that. Yes. And then it says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the Bible tells us to expect objections and questions and to be ready to answer questions about what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, but that's not all. Like we just said, 1 Peter 3.15 also says how we're called to answer questions. That's with gentleness and respect. And that leads to the, the second um, point here. Somebody look up Colossians 4.6, please. Colossians 4.6. Colossians 4, 6. So secondly, as we just said, we should handle objections with gentleness and respect. I know that's kind of, it's easy to be like, yes, of course, but uh, you look at the way things are right now, it can be quite a fight out there, especially on the interwebs. Um, So how we answer, which is another problem because um, the internet is just words, so it's very complicated, but how, how we answer can be just as important as what we say. How we answer can be just as important as what we say. Uh, Colossians 4.6 drives that point home. If you could read that, Colossians four six. I got it. Coop. Let your speech always be with grace,
0: as though
1: seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Yes. Uh, we should be gracious. Salt, yes, seasoned. And we should be gracious and loving toward people with questions and objections. Um, It's shocking to look at Paul's love and passion for the lost in Romans 9.3. I've read this verse before, but it took me some time to really let it sink in. Uh, He says in Romans 9.3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ For the sake of my brothers my kinsmen according to the flesh That's quite a thing to say. I think you could say it's a very Christ-like thing to say as he was Put on the cross and God turned away from him and he did it for his brothers uh, But that's the kind of love we have to have run believers graciousness gentleness respect so yeah, looking at those first two, just expecting questions and objections and responding with gentleness and respect. Any questions or comments on that? Any stories or things you've had recently where you're like, I came in with gentleness and respect? It was a lot better than not, <laughs> than the anger that was welling up inside or the frustration, um, especially with what's going on with COVID. Any situations recently you wanted to share?
2: I can share one is that okay? Sure. It's not very recent. No, it's not okay, Dave. <laughs> but it was uh, when I was uh, working at Stratcom in an office, like, so with a group of peers around me, so that we got into you know conversations. Because you sat desks right next to each other, and you're working with each other all day long. And uh, I, I decided I was going to invite a couple people to church that Sunday, and I said something like, Hey, uh, you know, Ben, would you be interested in, in coming to church? And I looked over at somebody else. And, I, and I, um, as my way, on my way to look at someone else, I noticed Rich, who was the agnostic hmm. uh, and vocal about it. And I said, oh, I know you wouldn't want to come. And then I moved oh, no. And he later told me that, that how offensive that was. To oh, him. No. Um, I mean, I think we managed to repair the relationship. But he said, that's really offensive. Like, yeah. you shouldn't do
1: that. <laughs> so. yeah. And it was totally meant out of just like a joke or whatever. Just like, hey, I get what you yeah, feel. Okay, but it's still just like, hey, that, that matters a lot to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had a guy at work the other day. He's going through the program. And I was just like, do you guys memorize? I work at, at Open Door Mission. It was like, do you guys memorize verses? I was like, yeah. It's like, how do, do they ask you questions and stuff? He's like, yeah, yeah it's all it's all he like was i think he like cursed or something he's like it's all you know easy or whatever i was like easy what does that mean he's like well i was a pastor's kid so and i was just like in my head i had that thing of like then get it together you know and that thing you have that thing of like just get it together but he gave me an opportunity i just was bleh, just paused and later we had a small moment where i was able to just be like hey man, you know, if it's easy for you, that's a gift. That's a gift from God. That means the Holy Spirit's really working you to understand the scriptures. And then he just got really quiet and really thoughtful. Whereas otherwise I would have just laughed like a pastors kid, ha ha, you know, just joked it off. So yeah, the gentleness and respect, it helps. It was hard to ask in the first place. <laughs> They're just on their phones. Um, so as important as our preparation and approach are, um, we just have to remember our preparation, our approach, this, mm, we're invigorated, it's not going to save, it's not going to save people, it's not, that itself is not going to save anybody. Um, you have to remember that God's saving power is in the, what's God saving, where's God saving power? It is in the, God. wait, what did you say, <laughs> what did you say, Laura? <laughs> Yes, the finished work of Christ, the gospel, definitely. Uh, not our apologetics. Um, could somebody please look up or be ready to quote Romans 1.16? Um, Romans 1.16. Uh, Eve, so, even if we could answer every objection, uh, people will not believe without God's Holy Spirit. So, it's dangerous. It really is. It's dangerous to think... That if we were just a little better at apologetics and answering questions, then we'd be more fruitful evangelists. That's not the best way to think. Uh, the gospel is what saves people, not the answers to their questions. So remember uh, Romans one sixteen. So you could read that or quote that. Romans one sixteen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So good. The gospel, it is the power of God. It is for salvation. Oh, that's exactly what I need. It's to everyone. Oh, that's everybody. That's great. And I don't have to be ashamed. And it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the people that I don't even understand. The people I don't even get them. I can tell them this story. This is it. It's great. It's perfect. It's Romans 1.16. Uh, so now God, he, does, he uses us, specifically our words, um, to help kind of tear down these barriers that might be set up in people's hearts and minds. It's kind of like you were mentioning last week about sometimes somebody says some things and it's like, or they may ask questions like, that's not quite, there's something more going on inside. You need to listen first because there's, there's, there's a shell going on here that you kind of got to get through with love. Um, but in the end, our hope, if you can get there, it must be in God's power and his saving message. Uh, like mentioned last week, Josh McDowell, more than a carpenter, he says, when it comes to apologetics, we should seek to answer people's questions as honestly as possible and then point them to the cross. Uh, but what if people ask, and this happened to me many times, uh, what if, and I've done my best, uh, God has done his best, What if people ask ridiculous questions? Um, Should we really give every question the same consideration and time? And this leads us to our next point. Uh, Four, sometimes you should not immediately answer a question. (laughs) Uh, Randy Newman from Crew, uh, Old Campus Crusade, he did this study on how Jesus answered questions. And he found that over half the time, Jesus didn't immediately answer. Most of the time, Jesus responded with a question of his own. Um, when Jesus is asked about taxes in Matthew 22:20, 20, he asks them, "Whose likeness and inscription is this?" <laughs> uh, when he asks, uh, he's asked about marriage and divorce in Mark 10:3. He responds by asking them, "What did Moses command you?" And again, in Mark 10, 18, when the rich young ruler asks how to get eternal life, Jesus responds with a question, Why do you call me good? So, I'm curious. He, he has this way of almost half the time asking his own questions. Why do you think he does that? Why do you guys think he asks questions sometimes when he's hit with a big one himself? I think The
2: question helps reveal what's the motivation behind their question. Okay. So they may have a question that just presupposes a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> whoa, 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 before you start there, coming back up. Yes. Um, so asking the question is getting them to back up and think about why they got to the point that they did.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it opens a dialogue too. In In doing that, it opens a dialogue because. You have like this big, weighty presupposition hitting you like, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to defend myself. This is great. Um, but it's kind of like, yeah, coming down to that level, just like, well, what do you, what do you, th- let's, let's not just, you know, attack me. Let's get into you. What do you, what do you think? And then, I don't know that that happens. That doesn't even just happen with the gospel. That happens just in life. It's just a good, <laughs> it's just a good method to get somebody to calm down. <laughs> But it opens up the dialogue and it's like, oh, if you're asking questions, I'll ask questions too. I think it gets them to realize that you care
3: about them and not just, and what they think, and not just wanting to tell them what you
1: think. Yes. Yes. Because, and they may even just be, yeah, coming to you thinking that. Just like. you. Yeah. There's like this guy has this, all this information, he's he's just an information machine. I'm just gonna ask him some tough questions, and then you're like, oh, he's a human being. Like, me forgot. <laughs> yeah, sure.
3: Well, most of his most of the questions to him were to put him in a difficult spot to figure right. he could, in other words, show how ridiculous his spot was. Where mm-hmm. his answers sort of reversed the situation.
1: Yes. Yes. It's perfect. It's like, hey, we're, we're in this together. It's a confusing place. You know, it's, yeah, that's great. Brings it down. Um, I think, yeah, like we were saying, sometimes people ask questions, but don't, they don't genuinely care about the answer. Um, by asking them a question back, it engages in a conversation and it makes them think instead of like, I've got all this stuff ready. And then as soon as you ask a question, It's about let's both think together here. Let's both talk about this. Let's uh, use our minds and our hearts to figure out what we're talking about instead of just information catapulting at each other. (laughs) So uh, we should be discerning when answering objections and questions because sometimes, sometimes like Cliff said last week, they're smoke screens. They're drawing attention away from the real needs of the people we're evangelizing. Um, when people start asking questions about whether did Ad, Adam and Eve have belly buttons or or uh, dinosaurs in the Bible? Was it all Jurassic Park? I'm not sure. Um, you can probably tell their questions aren't that serious. But don't get bogged down with those kind of questions. Jesus didn't, and we shouldn't either. Uh, we see that there's an example in John 4, in verse 16, when he's talking to the women at the well. She's talking to him and when he started he started to move the conversation close to her heart she started talking about these long standing debates between Jews and Samaritans, just total deflect like, and you can see that now it's just like, what about you the know, Republicans and Democrats it, it can happen right now um, but Jesus, he kindly addressed her question you know, he was he was cultured, he was contextualized he knew what to say, to just kindly answer that question but then he moved past it And uh, he moved past and then he took care of the matter at hand, which was her heart. So we're loved. And because we're loved, we should ask God for wisdom on when to focus on a possible rabbit trail and when to briefly address it and just move the conversation forward. Um, Have you ever been asked a question about the gospel that seemed more like an easy out than an actual question, I think we, I think we all have to some extent. Um, there's a great, a great kind of confusing passage uh, for Proverbs twenty-six, four through five. You can turn there if you want. I'll read it, but it is kind of confusing, so it's kind of fun to look at. Um, Proverbs twenty-six, four through five says, it's two lines. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. <laughs> so it's a little confusing because you're like, you just told me not to do that, but now you're telling me to do that. Well, Hebrews kind of that way. Hebrews kind of like, you should understand what this means, um, with the context. If we, if somebody comes to us with folly, with ridiculous questions and ridiculous motivations for those questions and ridiculous subjection you know they're just coming in with like hate and frustration and looking to make you feel dumb or whatever it is don't step into that arena and then try to operate um lest you be like him yourself but look at the whole spectrum of the folly you know look at they're a sinner they don't know they're lost and then because that's where you belong you belong there you're in the light, and they're in the darkness. That's where you belong. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Stand on the outside for that person, even though they want to pull you in so bad, and tell them the truth. Tell them the truth of the gospel, the power of you know, God for salvation. Tell them those things um, so they don't walk away being like, see, I pulled him in, and he had nothing. Pulled him in, and he had nothing. It's like, no, you didn't, and I have everything, and I'm trying to tell you you know, It helps them to walk away being like, with the truth of like, I think that person might have something I've never had. Um, so that's helpful. But again, that's Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. It's a mind bender. Alright, the fifth point. We should always be ready to play both, like it says, we should make a defense, but we should be ready to play both offense and defense in evangelism. Um, what I mean is that sometimes we play defense and we feel these questions from people. And when we do, we should do it wisely, honestly, humbly, graciously with salt, right? The seasoning, salt, gentleness, respect, but we should make a defense. We should make a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. We should be ready at all times to do that. Um, we should point people to the answers we have in the scriptures and testify to God's faithfulness from our own God given experiences. So we have to meditate on those as well. But we should also be ready to play offense as well. And by that, I mean, we should challenge them by being like Christ, by asking those questions, asking them questions as well, just like Christ did. So ask them about the big questions of life that we all wrestle with. Questions about origin or meaning or morality. Or the destiny that we're all kind of looking like, what is going to happen to me? Um, Some examples are like, where did we come from? Why are we here? Where do good and bad come from? Or what happens when we die? Life, thank the Lord, life naturally presses these questions on people through their experiences. And as evangelists, we should press into these questions. It's a gift. God is Romans one. God is getting people riled up. They're looking around. They're going, oh, I don't know. I think I, I. I mean, I want to live my best life. Depend on myself, but something else is going on, and we should help them consider what things are of ultimate importance. So you can just say, Henry.
3: Well, if you'll notice, a lot of one of the big questions is evolution. Right which is the official re- uh, religion of public school and even some religious schools
1: yeah yeah it is
3: it's their official re- hey we evolved over billions of years right months. hey we were created maybe six, 7,000 years ago
1: yeah it, it's, it's a great avenue to ask the question so you believe in evolution why are we here what are we doing here why should I love you? I mean, if I get in your way, shouldn't, I, shouldn't you kill me? Isn't that what, why are there laws against you killing me if you need, you need to survive, right? So what, what needs to happen? Yeah, They're asking questions just like, we're on the same page here. We just believe different things. I'm not trying to come, come over you. Like, I was humbled to this information. Let me share with you this information that you could be humbled too. Yeah, thank you, Henry. Good old evolution. Um, six point. If somebody asks you a question, this is great, this is helpful. <laughs> if somebody asks you a question and you don't know how to answer it, it is okay to say, oh, it's okay to say I don't know. Um, I understand uh, it's, it's totally normal to not like saying I don't know. Um, it's normal to do everything you can to help someone come to know christ so when someone asks a question that we don't know the answer to we can feel ill-equipped um we can go inward you know the way that we do We can feel ill-equipped we can feel ignorant or we can even feel like a failure just immediately make it about ourselves oh i can't believe i can't answer their question um if somebody asks you something and you don't know the answer again it's okay to just say you don't know The truth will set you free, I I assure you. It does it again and again. Don't feel like a failure if you don't know. Don't feel, don't feel, this is something I struggled with growing up. It makes me, you know, everyone has those, you're trying to go to bed and you're like, oh, that thing I did 15 years, so dumb. Uh, One second, Henry. Uh, Don't feel tempted to make up an answer to sound like you know what you're talking about. The, uh, you don't have to be an entrepreneur with the gospel, <laughs> or like, I'm paving the American way with how I talk about the gospel. Um, you don't have to make up an answer, that's fine. If somebody asks you something you don't know, um, there's ways to respond. What are you gonna say, Henry?
3: Well, you could maybe use it as, you know, I don't know, but I'll look it up, and that right. might be a step for future conversations with them. Um, if you're really interested, we can uh, get
1: together later. Definitely, yep, that's here in the process. They say, write it down, research it, and then get back to them. Um, I've heard someone say before that when it came to getting stumped with a question in evangelism, they might get him once, but not twice, because the Bible's the Bible. (laughs) So write it down, research it, pray over it, and get back to them. Uh, Evangelism is a way to strengthen your own faith. And I think, I don't know, I feel like sometimes that's maybe why we're kind of, I know I, okay, I shouldn't speak for all this. I know that's why sometimes I kind of feel lazy about it. I'm like, this is going to be a whole thing. They're going to ask me a question and I'm not going to know. And then I have to look. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's like, it's just a lazy adopted child of God. Just like, I don't want to mow the lawn. Like, it's so embarrassing, but it's the truth. Like, stop being a lazy kid. (laughs) You saved your life. Write it down, research it, and get back to the person. You are like, yeah, but my favorite show is on. No, just do it. It's way more important. Um, it's there to strengthen your own faith as well. It's a way to, for you to understand more of why you believe what you believe. And that's always going to be important. It's always going to be a point of growth. All right, so those six things. We looked at how we should expect objections and questions when sharing our faith. We looked at responding with gentleness and respect, even in this time. Uh, We remembered how God's saving power is what saves instead of our apologetics and our answers. Although those are helpful, it's his saving power that does it. Um, We looked at how it's not always the best thing to answer immediately, and sometimes it's best to just say, I don't know. And uh, also to be ready to field a lot of questions but maybe to look for that question that you could ask them to open up a conversation and help them remember like, I'm like you. I'm a person. I have questions too. Um, again, with those six things, any comments or questions on those? Or other things that you think are part of things we should take into consideration when dealing with the objections to the gospel? It's important to
2: highlight that uh, sometimes the- I don't know. You're being stretched beyond your your mental capacity. Yeah. Just to if you're able to multitask like this to go to the Lord in prayer while you're, while you're having a conversation <laughs> while they're stop, to, while they're talking about whatever it is they're talking about just like Lord, I have no idea how to respond right now, but you do. Mm-hmm. So please give me the words to say. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if you're speaking to a machine gun speaker. Um, I know that a lot of time, almost every time I'm in a conversation like that, there's some lull where I I have a second to be like, please help me, I'm really confused, this is crazy. (laughs) Just go right back in, and it's helpful every time. I can borderline, I don't mean to be weird or mysticism or anything, I can borderline feel it. Like when I'm talking to that person and I pray, I can almost feel it in my body, just God comforting me and be like, dude, you believe in me, it's okay. Like, you're confused, I get it, but remember what you believe. Unshakeable. It's fine. And then you're able to move on. And I think with them, they talk to so many people, and they hit so many people with these questions and these comments. They're like, man, this person's still standing. What's going on? But prayer can help you to just stay grounded in that moment. All right. Those are six things to consider. Secondly, we're just going to look at a couple, just a couple, Henry, of the objections and uh, their responses. Um, Definitely can't cover them all. So in this section we won't address every objection that you'll ever face. Uh, Instead we'll just address a few of the most common ones that you'll face. And the point of going through these isn't to give you the answers to each question. It's more to just illustrate kinda how to answer each question. Um, You have to find the specifics and the dynamics of those answers yourself, which you can do with Christ, which is hanging out with Christ. That's great. So do that yourself. Um, I'm not sure you'll ever feel completely prepared to handle every possible question. Um, Even with a master's in divinity or a theology major, PhD, growing up in a Christian home, or reading the Bible five times in a year, um, you may still have to answer, I don't know. But this is important feeling completely ready and comfortable isn't the goal really hear that again feeling completely ready and comfortable is not the goal I hung on to that for years and just and I I still need to hear it every day it's not about okay I've, I've really got this now I can do what God wants me to do it's a process it's a process it's a process you work it out by trying and failing, quote, failing, you're not failing. You, by trying and trying and going back to God. So the goal, the real goal, is to help people overcome hurdles. It's kind of like what Bobby talked about last week, not making offenses, removing those offenses. I love how the, I love how the word offense has fence in it, like removing those offenses between them and understanding Jesus that hinder their faith. The goal is to help others grow in their faith and to grow in yours at the same time. Not like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna become whatever <laughs> million examples, and we become Michael Jordan, and then we're gonna go into the NBA. <laughs> it's like, no, you're gonna grow at the same time. This is not, it's different. Evangelism's different. You grow at the same time. Um, we're not going to talk about apologetics today in this course intensely. But if you're interested, feel free to talk to us. They're, they do offer a seven-week apologetics course seminar that might be kind of fun. If you guys feel called and you, you pray about it and you're like, I think we should do that, let us know. We can maybe look at that next. Um, it, that course seminar digs deeper into each of these questions and objections. So if you're interested, definitely let somebody know. Um, two references to look up, okay? Or quote. <laughs> 2 Timothy 3:16. Ah, yeah. 2 Timothy 3:16 and then also 2 Peter 1:20 20 through 21. 2 Peter 1:20 20 through 21, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 2 Peter one twenty through 21. So common objection number 1. Nice common one. How can you believe the Bible is true? Of course, it's the foundation of everything, right? They have to attack that. They can attack that and break that. Then we got nothing. How can you believe the Bible is true? Wasn't the Bible just a book written by men? So one way to answer this kind of question, this objection, is to point people (laughs) to the very thing they're (laughs) objecting, the scriptures. Uh, The Bible was written by men, but men who were used by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by his very own spirit. This is a good illustration. Just like we use pens to write, God carefully used those men to write his word. So just like we use pens, he used those men and inspired them to write his word. And the Bible says just that, uh, that God spoke to us through people. Somebody read 2 Timothy 3.16. (laughs) <laughs> well, that? Second Timothy 3.16 oh.
2: All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work.
1: Excellent. Breathed out by God. Uh, 2 Peter 1.20-21 20 2 Peter 1.20-21 Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man,
0: but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit.
1: Whew, that answers some questions. Though so all Scripture breathe breathed out by God, it was, but yet it was not produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Boom, there it is. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, 2 Peter 1.20-21. Yeah, I read that one, and I was like, oh, man, I'm drooling. This is good stuff. (laughs) Uh, The Bible, it isn't a book that a person could write if he wanted to. It's 66 books written by 40 different human authors or so over 1,500 years, crossing 10 periods of civilization, Spanning three continents, and it's all written in perfect harmony. Seems unlikely to be done by the will of man. Uh, explaining all or some of that would be one way to answer the question, but there's also another way to answer the question, and that's by asking, going on the offense, asking a question yourself. You can ask, isn't it possible the Bible could be true? True. Do this to get them to acknowledge the possibility that you could be right. That maybe they just have a barrier that's up. It's like, is this a real conversation? Because if it's a real conversation, isn't it possible it could be true? Get them to that place of maybe. Um, You want them to entertain the idea before before you try to just convince them. To make it look good, that sweet aroma of Christ going up. Um, get them to go in their minds and get them to go from that's ridiculous uh, to that's okay it's possible it's possible (laughs) right Uh, it's people think that they are God (laughs) when you're talking to them they think they're God and they think they have even even they're like I am a humble man and I do need I knew to be I do need to be taught I'm speaking I'm speaking of myself I do need to be taught and then they just come out like but here's the way it really is you know you got to get them to that place of like come down <laughs> let's both come down it could be possible though it's like, okay yeah I guess I guess you got to get them there um, it's important to gauge where people are they could be there they could be broken they could be ready um, different questions are right for different people at different times uh, sometimes people have a life-changing experience like Paul on the Damascus Road. A great way to think about it, a really helpful way to think of it, is as a long spectrum from A to Z, or whatever, one to whatever, but A to Z is good. You have to imagine every unbeliever you know is on this spectrum from A to Z. And some seem painfully close to becoming a Christian over here, while others are like they're like stone. They're hardened with hearts of stone. They're way feels like they're not even on the scale. Um, And some people seem close to becoming Christians. Some seem and I know it hurts sometimes. Some seem ridiculously, ridiculously far. And looking at that spectrum for those who just seem so far, or even those who are so close, but it's like, why won't they just (laughs) go from Y to Z. Why can't they just do that? Um, Just a reminder, just don't lose hope. It's not your burden to bear the fate of people of this earth, of this life. It's not your burden to bear. The gospel is what you have. That's what you carry and that's what you share with others. And I know it's going to hurt, but ultimately... God respects people's choices to reject him. Um, With that A to Z, our job in answering objections and questions isn't necessarily to lead people to Jesus in one conversation. Just A to Z, done. It could happen, Um, but probably not. (laughs) It's usually to slowly move them across the spectrum over a series of conversations Maybe over a series of weeks, months, years, or decades. And maybe God will use a series of people. Maybe it won't just be you. Um, sometimes you're the, you're the one who helps them get from like D to E. And when you get them to consider, you get them from DD, D, when you get them to consider that maybe it's possible God exists. Maybe it's possible. That's a good job. It's a good part of it. It's part of the spectrum. And sometimes you move them from like W to X when you get them to see that salvation is worth more than their family's approval or their social standing. Anywhere on that spectrum, you could be doing that. And that's a good way to view it, because sometimes you can get in, you can get out, and you're like, maybe that person doesn't want to talk to you anymore. That one guy you talked to, and you just didn't see him for a really long time after More Than Carpenter is like, I did something, I, I know I did something. I don't know what it was, but it was, it's on the spectrum. Because sometimes it could be so easy to look at, it's so just one-dimensional, like, they just... Uh, they do, I just want them to change. Please, just, just uh, but God has this, God loves narrative. His word is nice and long. It's got a lot of stuff in it. He likes narrative. It takes a really long time sometimes, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's okay to be a part of that. Uh, some quick facts about the Bible, too, just to help with that question. Um, there are over 5,000 New Testament Greek manuscripts existing today. That's more than the writings of Aristotle, Caesar, and Homer combined. And the internal consistency of those 5,000 New Testament Greek manuscripts, the consistency of those is 99%. Most scholars agree that they were written within the first century AD, which is important because it means that many people were alive during Jesus' life and those 5,000, they could have refuted those, but they did not. It remains 99% Quick, consistent. Sure. Clear,
2: not the 5,000 in first century. 5,000 over a number of centuries. But oh, the century, okay. The original writings were in the first, were written within we, the first century. Right. Those were copied by hand 5,000 times that we had copies of uh, over the next few centuries.
1: Right. Thank you. There's also with the Bible, there's the historicity of the names and the places in the Bible. Um, As archeological excavations continue, there's, we see more and more proof of the historical accounts of biblical things. It just keeps happening. It's not to be ignored. So those are just two more things, uh, two more additions you can add in your response to that question. Um, Another big objection and question one of my faves is, what about the problem of evil? How could a good God allow evil? Even, even if they're asking it like that, like, why would God do it? No, even if they're like, how could he allow it even if he's good? First thing to do, and I think most of us here are probably pretty good at this, is humbly acknowledge that there is a ton of pain and suffering and evil in this world. Uh, it may also be helpful to ask them to explain a bit more about the evil they have in mind. Listen carefully to them in order to determine what exactly it is that's bothering them so much. They might have a specific reason. I'm sure they do have a specific reason for that. What is their, what is their specific experience they've personally endured that makes that be the big question for them? Uh, maybe they've dealt with abuse or addiction or violence with family members. Or maybe they've been, I know know a few people like this, maybe they've been to too many funerals of loved ones who died younger than expected from terminal illness, just too much early death. In those situations, we should remind them that God, our God, the God of the Bible, is in complete control, completely sovereign and omnipotent at all times, even in tragic situations. Um, and you can point them to examples in the Bible. Uh, Genesis 50-20 is really good, if you want to turn there. Genesis 50. It's a great example. So Joseph, whose elder brothers sold him into slavery, as you remember, he encounters them years later. And uh, Joseph had endured all kinds of hardships in Egypt, but by God's providence, he ended up as like one of the members of Pharaoh's cabinet. It's similar to, like, the Secretary of State or something like that. So he meets his brothers from this powerful position. He meets them, and after some initial awkwardness between them, which, some stories in there, everything's a okay So they take Joseph to see their father, Jacob, who's also called Israel. They take him, take Joseph to see him. He's very old, and he's on his deathbed. And after Jacob dies, the brothers panic, and they think, that Joseph may be vengeful toward them because Jacob is now dead. Uh, So listen to this passage from Genesis 50, 15 through 21. and Read along if you want. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It's a great illustration to give somebody. It's like, why would God allow evil? Let me tell you this story. Could somebody look up or be prepared to quote what you've probably heard many times? Romans (laughs) 8.28. Romans 8.28. So can you believe that? God, God not only allowed the evil to happen to Joseph, but he used it for good of many people which I think he's referring to the storehouses, the food, and all these people survived. Even his own family was able to come there during the famine. So in the book of Job, we see this also. God allows Satan to inflict pain and suffering on Job. God gave Satan permission to harm Job because ultimately all of these evil beings are underneath God's, you know, they're not autonomously doing whatever they want. They're underneath God's power. Um, this should give us comfort that anything we go through, God is allowing to happen. And remember, it is for our good. It brings us to Romans 8.28. The verse I have cried many tears over. Romans 8.28. Somebody could read that or share that. Sure.
3: And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose.
1: Amen. Uh, do yourself a favor. Don't, don't you dare get sick of Romans 828. Don't ever give up on Romans 828. Don't scoff at it. It is crucial to your survival. And you will hear it and read, you'll hear it and you'll read it many times in your life, especially when things are difficult. Romans 8:28 is a great verse to gauge where your heart is. If you're sick of hearing that verse, check your heart. Believe me, that's even more so for myself than anybody else. Um, I'd also ask them, if they're talking about evil, how much evil they'd like God to get rid of. Um, you can ask them if they've ever done anything evil themselves. And uh, all sin is evil. And if we just take a quick walk through the Ten Commandments, uh, we will see that we are all evil. We're liars, we're thieves, we're covetous, we're adulterers, we're idolaters, idolaters, and we're murderers. Um, Even if not publicly, certainly privately in our hearts and in our minds. So there's evil within us. And we may not be like Hitler or Stalin, but in the end, we won't be compared to Hitler or Stalin. Um, will be judged according to god 's perfect standard, which is in his Son Jesus. so i 'd also explain to them that God does care about evil. He hates evil um, but they're looking at the wrong thing they're looking at the worst people in the world when they should be looking at Christ. And somebody look up John 1247 through48 John 1247 through 48. So the first way we see this is at the cross on Calvary 2,000 years ago, God poured out his judgment, his punishment, sorry, he poured out his punishment and wrath for our evil sins on his son Jesus. He hates evil so much that he sent his one and only son, like Tom talked about at the beginning, his one and only son to die as a substitute for all the sinners like me, who have repented of their evil deeds and trusted in Christ's atoning sacrifice. But there's another way, that we will see how God um, hates evil. And we read about it in the Bible, and it's the final day of judgment. Sadly, for those who have not repented of their sin, they will experience firsthand how much God hates sin. And he spe- Jesus speaks about it in John twelve forty-seven through 48. If you could read that. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I did not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to
3: save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word, my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the
0: last day.
1: Amen. And we read about how that happens in the awesome account in Revelation 20. So it's awesome for us, those who are his, but terrible for those uh, who are not his. So uh, for the final objection, um, we're looking at, How do you know God exists? And can you prove to me that God exists? I don't know if you've heard that one. How do you know it exists? And can you prove it to me? Come on, there's got to be something. I see the way you live. You go to church. You do these things that Christ wants you to do. What have you found? Because I'm looking too. What have you found? And the reality is, is the, there's some ways you can say yes, but what they're really asking, that full scope of what they're asking, the answer is no. I can't prove it. But no one can prove either, bringing them to that level. No one can prove that God doesn't exist either. Believing in God is an act of faith. In 2 Corinthians 5.7, Paul writes, For we walk by faith, not by sight. But this is not, it's not a blind faith. Um, the evidence of a creator God is overwhelming. And to end the class... We'll just look at three C's, okay? These are three things. God exists? Prove it. Three C's you can look at. You can look at creation, you can look at our conscience, and you can look at Christ. And creation, all creation points to a creator. And other than an eternal, omnipotent creator God, who could have created all these things, the sun, the moon, the earth, and the oceans and the stars? And beyond that, love, friendship, Loyalty, glory, holiness, happiness, (laughs) come on, what do we find those? Somebody made them. What about the Big Bang? Who created the things that banged together? Who caused them to bang together? Philosophy 101 says something cannot come from nothing. Nothing cannot create something simple simple philosophy creation second is our conscience and with creation you can look at romans 1 18 through 32 you can look at psalm 19 1. with our conscience you can look at romans 2 our conscience shows that a good creator god made us to know right from wrong and good from evil how many of you get angry When you hear the news of terrorist attacks, or how many of you get angry when you hear the news of child molesters, or the sexual abuse of children for money, known as sex trafficking? Or when you heard about the Epstein Island? How many of you got upset about that? Why did you get upset? I mean, if it's what people want, shouldn't they be allowed to do it? Yet it's wrong? Our conscience is crucial. To the existence of God. And then Christ. Always bring it back to Christ. Jesus was a real historical person who walked on the earth. Some people are just like, no. Like, yes, <laughs> he was. There's not a real question about that. And Jesus really died on a cross at the hands of Pontius Pilate 2,000 years ago. And again, there's no question about that. So what about Jesus's claims? What about his miracles? What about the fact that over 500 eyewitnesses saw him in his resurrected state, and that when that happened, and when people were so against him in that culture, that the Christian religion immediately followed and continued on. This, this is the same people that when, when, when Christ showed up, Herod had, Herod had all those children killed. You really think he wouldn't stop it from happening? If No, it continued. It continued on, even in when people hated it. Um... So just finishing up, just don't be afraid of questions or objections. That's exactly what Satan wants. So do, just don't. Don't give him the satisfaction. Spite him with a psalm, uh, as Luther said. Um, be gentle. Be honest. Be humble. Be respectful. Um, be available. All those bees. And if you don't know, then don't be, don't be embarrassed to say that you don't know. And we'll just finish out with a, a comforting passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That should be very comforting. So keep praying, keep pursuing evangelism opportunities, and keep sharing the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek, even the people you don't understand.